Hello, friends. I'm back from a bit of a lengthy break, and I've got a few podcasts already recorded that I'll be releasing over the next week or two. Before I tell you about the one that you're about to listen to, I would like to ask you to do me a favor. If you would, press pause now and go to the description of my podcast. And if you could give me a rating and write a review, I would really appreciate it. It really helps with the algorithms and getting the human voice in front of more people. And so that more people could listen to the conversations, I would really appreciate it if you could do that. Today, you're going to hear Ian Morgan Cron, who's been on the podcast a couple of times before, but he has a new book out. And before I tell you about the book and start the podcast, let me tell you a little bit about Ian Morgan Cron, if you haven't heard from him before. He's an Episcopal priest, he's a trained psychotherapist, and he's a renowned teacher of the Enneagram. He's a best-selling author of several books, including The Road Back to You, which was his first book about the Enneagram. He's also the host of the popular podcast, Typology, which I highly recommend. And he's a highly sought-after speaker. He's also a good friend of mine. He lives here in Nashville as well. And you're going to really, really enjoy the podcast, I think. We go deep at a couple of uh, times in the podcast. I talk a little bit about my own story. He talks about his. So without me blabbing anymore, I want you to hear Ian Morgan Cron. Hello, Ian. How are you? Bob, how you doing, friend? Good. Good. It's good to good to have you back on the podcast. I think it's the second or third time over the last few years. So thank you for taking the time. I know you're on the virtual book tour with podcasts and other things. So thank you for taking the time to talk with me again. You live right down the road. So we're in we're in the same city. I enjoyed having lunch with the other day. Thank you for that. So I, I'm hoping that this podcast will reveal something uh, new and different for the Enneagram because we don't need just another Enneagram podcast. There are lots of great ones out there, including yours. I'm fascinated, Ian, quite honestly, with the title of your book, and I've read quite a bit of it, but this whole idea of story. Before I begin, the title of your book is called The Story of You, An Enneagram Journey to Becoming Your True Self. And just for those listeners who haven't read it yet or heard a lot about it, what Ian does, and I'm going to let him explain it to to you much better than I could, but he takes the Enneagram, the nine types, and he puts it in the context of not just, okay, you're a number and here's your tendencies, but here's potentially the story that you've told yourself or the story that you're living in, the story you have believed And it's really guided your life. It's influenced your life. And much of who you are in the context of the Enneagram has to do with that story. But Ian, I'll let you explain it because you've been working on it now, I'm sure, for some time. And you can say it a lot better. But how did you you get to this angle? And what was was really the the genesis of it? You know, about a couple of decades ago, I was a young man. I was... Uh, in the process of early days of uh, working on sobriety from drug and alcohol addiction. And mm-hmm. I had this marvelous first 12-step recovery sponsor. He was about 70, ironically, a psychotherapist and a priest like myself now. 
And he heard me speak one night at a 12-step speakers meeting, which for those who don't know, a speakers meeting is one where you have a person who is newer oftentimes in sobriety stand up and share their story, what it was like, what it's like now, and you know what, what it's been like since you came into the program, right? And the meeting he signed me up or volunteered me to speak at had about 200 people at it. And I was terrified. It was like, you know, three months sober. And I told my story and really, Bob, it was like a story that I'm an Enneagram for the romantic for people who know what that is. It's, it was straight out of that playbook. I mean, it was this sort of tragic and I'm not saying there were some very, you know, uh, hurtful things in my past, but it was a pretty dark story at the end of it on the way home in the car, after a car ride home, he looked at me and he goes, Ian, have you ever wondered like if you're living in the wrong story? And I remember thinking to myself, wow, like that's an amazing question. Like it really threw me back on my heels. I didn't know how to answer it at the time, but I was, you know, deeply affected by it. Who knew that decades later I would be studying the Enneagram. And as I'm studying it, I begin to realize, oh my gosh, these aren't just personality types. These are nine stories Mm. that one of which all of us tells ourselves about who we are and how we think the world works. And that story, despite the fact that it's often quite negative, right, really helps us in childhood, but begins to work against us in adulthood. So, you know, the journey of transformation, therefore, is change the story that defines you has defined you the story that is loaded with all kinds of mistaken beliefs and false internalized messages from childhood and and really take responsibility and undertake the joy of of writing a a, a new narrative for your life because that's where the money of transformation can be found right Mm -hmm. all transformation is story transformation that's why you go to a therapist honestly you you and i go to therapists whether we know it or not, because our old story sucked. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and we want to write a new story for our lives. And I, I don't know if people really know that about therapy, yeah. but that's essentially what therapy is. And so that's that was the reason and the whole approach to the book of the story of you. Yeah, I love that. Ian, as you know, my much of my career and and what I do from day to day is is communication, it's marketing. It, at the it's story we all love it what is it what is it about story that i've also often wondered that resonates so deeply with us as humans you know joseph campbell certainly didn't invent the hero's journey but he was able to form it and explain it in such a beautiful way and then you have movies like star wars or books like the Lord of the Rings, where we all, it just resonates so, so deeply with us in in ways that we can't quite put our, our finger on, but we can all sit in a movie theater together with strangers and feel the waves, uh, deep resonance and waves of emotions in these times. What is that? What's going on? Hmm. Well, I think that great truths are best communicated 
via the medium of the imagination versus the rational mind. I, I wrote a book years ago called Chasing Francis, and I, I used a line in it that I repeatedly used, and it's essentially something like, uh, when, when you want to communicate a great spiritual truth, come in the back door of the imagination versus the front door of the intellect. Mm. And, I, and I also, so it, it appeals, right, to us, and it, it story sneaks truths up on us, right? In a way that that just saying it directly can't, right? I could tell you that love can change the heart and you would agree, right? Or not, you could sure. argue with me about it. But if I show you Beauty and the Beast, it it's very hard for you to refute. And everything, not only that, but I'll make you cry all the way through Beauty and the Beast as you, you know, that story does its work on you. Yeah. Yeah. So taking a step further then, when we, I guess maybe I'm, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm pondering out loud here. Do you, do you think it's more of when we hear and articulate, like you said, in therapy or in great writers or in people like yourself who, who put it in black and white and say, here's, here's the story that you've told yourself and it resonates is it something that is that that captures our imagination and and forms those memories into more digestible and 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 emotional and emotions versus okay here are all the facts that happened to me and we're all different where i'm going with this ian is okay you've got nine personality types and nine stories but almost everyone in the world can find themselves in there it seems reductionist on some level, but at the same time, it, it rings so true. And this whole idea of telling ourselves stories and changing that story and changing the narrative uh, and how much it can change us as a result, I really find that fascinating and quite quite enchanting, I guess. So can, can you talk to me about that a little bit? I, I, I don't know if I'm communicating that or asking the right question, but... This whole idea of, of story, for you, talk about the Enneagram 4 story. Talk about your own story, that Enneagram 4s. Sure. Well, let me just back, let me back up and just say this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a couple of statements just to, so that I'm really clear that I hope sort of hits people between the eyes, okay? The first is, this: you are the story you tell yourself to yourself about who you are. Mm-hmm. That's who you become. You, in fact... Lots of therapists would say, particularly in what's called the narrative therapy tradition, would say that your personality is based on a story, right? It's like, it is a story. And that means that it's not necessarily true, right? It's, it, there's parts of our story that are fiction. They're just not true. So I'm an Enneagram 4, right? I grew up uh, believing that there was something unnameable and broken in me that I, and I didn't understand what it was. And it it just seemed that other people had something that I was missing. Mm. And that in order to find love and wholeness, I was going to have to become someone special and unique Mm. to compensate for the missing piece and to win the right to be welcomed back into the world of relationships, okay? Now, that story actually helped me as a little kid make sense of growing up in a kooky world, all right? But I dragged that story into adulthood with me 
And it just beat me up at every turn, right? Just beat me up at every single turn. And until I did the job of turning around and saying to that story, who says? Like, I think those are two of the most powerful words in therapy or a spiritual direction or in friendship when a friend or somebody can turn to you and say, who says? Mm. Who says that's true about you? Who says that story is accurate and right? Mm. Who says you can't get out of it? Mm. Who's, you know what I'm saying? In other words, I don't know. I, I'm always looking at people saying, oh, really? Who says? And I think that the journey, it's possible. Like if we want to experience deep transformation, we have to start with the underlying premise of the story we tell ourselves. We have to face the mistaken beliefs the broken internalized messages we pick up from parents and siblings and coaches and peers and teachers. And, you know, all we have to challenge the the traumas, the the messages that Mm -hmm. those traumas sent us, because all of those things feed into the story of you. Right. And, you know, someone might say, well, geez, I had a pretty charmed childhood. I can't imagine, you know, and I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Look, I've been around long enough, you know, to say, honestly, like everybody is a recovering child. Everybody. And everybody's story has some really false ideas running around inside them. Mm. And and until you unwind it, you actually are, your life will be governed from the shadows by those stories. Mm. Mm. Okay, so if we are the stories that we tell ourselves. And I think we can look at others and we can actually, we can look at the world today and see uh, some strong examples of that. Whether those facts around those stories are true or not, it's much harder to look at ourselves, right? What is, what is unpacking and rewrite, first unpacking, but then secondly, rewriting story. What do you mean by that? Because I think I understand what you mean by that, but that can be a big overwhelming endeavor to someone listening to say, what do you mean? I've been this way all my life. You're telling me I can, I can be someone different by rewriting my story. What, what does that mean? Unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So what I do in the, in the story of you is I basically start off talking about this idea that all of us inhabit a narrative right? You know, you know this. I, I, when I have a, a, a client or I'm working with somebody around their story, when I say to them, you know, is it possible you're living in a broken story? I don't really have to spend a lot of time defining that. Like, I don't have to spend a lot of time. No, no one ever says to me, story? What are you talking about? Like, everybody intuitively knows that they see their life and experience their life as a narrative, an unfolding story. It's why we say things to each other like, well, I've turned the chapter on that stage part of my life, or gee, I turned the page in this relationship, or the cheesy old pickup line, you know, hey man, tell me your story. I mean, you know, it's like we see ourselves that way. Or we refer to parts of our lives as journeys. Yeah. So then Mm -hmm. the next part of the book, I explore these nine stories, right? That we see over and over again, so much in the general population, just repeating themselves in different lives that we have to stop and pay attention to them. Are they every single story that is available for people to inhabit? 
I don't know. I do know this, that literary critics say that there's only seven basic plots in all of literature and film, hmm. right? So it shouldn't surprise us maybe that there's a limited number of uh, stories that people can subscribe to, but the details of the story are different for each person within each type, right? Like my story is a four, is definitely the four story, but how it's played out in my life is different than how it's played out in another friend of mine whose life is a four, right? Underlying premise is the same. The, the, the details are, are different, the particulars of the story. And then in the last part of the book, I talk about a four-stage process I've walked people through many, many times to help them rewrite their story. And it's called SOAR. And I know I don't like acronyms very much either. They always feel a little platitudinal to me. However, as someone in recovery in a program that uses a lot of acronyms, I can tell you periodically that they can save your life. So <laughs> put it just, that's a little caveat on it. S stands for see your story. <laughs> Second one is own, own your story. A, awaken to your story. And then R is rewrite your story. And I, I could walk you through that stage process, but it, but that's the idea. There is in the book a, a really good template for beginning the journey of, of rewriting the narrative of your life. And to be clear, for people who are kind of scratching their heads, which I hope they're not, but I'm not saying you can change the facts of your history. Mm-hmm. That's not possible. Right. That, you know, if I encourage that, you know, I'm I'm encouraging some kind of delusional, you know, kind of life. But I what I can tell you is that in this life, what happened to you in the past isn't nearly as important as what you think happened to you in the past. Mm. Does that make sense? It's what you have interpreted happened to you. In the past, you know, if your father walks out on your family and you interpret it as meaning you were worthless, mm. Mm, do you know where I'm going? In other words, yeah. it's not it's not what happened there that matters, it's how you what you thought happened. Mm. And so that's part of the journey of looking back and going, is that true? Is that is that actually what happened? Because I, I think I've been carrying that load my whole life. And mm. maybe that's not maybe that's mm. that would be part of the rewrite. Mm. What's the most dramatic in your years of, of being a priest and being a therapist and just living on this earth? What's the most dramatic change you've seen in someone practicing this, just real practically, like rewriting their story? I'm going to give you one that maybe you're not going to expect, but I, I could actually go into film and talk to you about where I've seen it in films. Like you think about movies like Groundhog Day, where mm-hmm. a guy is, you know, Bill Murray's character is trapped in this repeating story day after day after day in which he makes the same mistakes over and over and over again and he's thinking and then there's a it comes to a moment where he's like i have to change this i have to change this story and that's when he breaks out of it do you remember and that's when he finds love right Mm. i mean that's about as good as it gets right or you think about the Truman Show, yeah, where a guy is trapped in a story that's not true, and then he mm. wakes up and he has this moment, this and it's a frightening moment where he realizes I can save this old story, or I can walk out that door and get a new one, mm. you know, yeah, uh, go on the journey of finding a new one. So this, my idea is not you know like horribly original, but. I think I explain it in a way that's quite different than anybody else has. 
I'll tell you a person whose story changed dramatically and oftentimes makes me scratch my head is our mutual friend, Donald Miller. Mm. And I mentioned Don in the book, uh, and he and I have spoken about this at length, actually on my podcast, Typology. And and I'll be honest and say that part of the reason I wrote this book was a response to long conversations I've had with Don. Mm. And here's the deal. Don was an overweight author who was, I think he, I know he would self-describe as someone who saw himself as a victim, saw himself as at the, you know, kind of a, a guy that was the product of a history he couldn't change. And then one day he said, oh, I mean, he literally has said this to himself years ago. I, I, this is the wrong story. So he lost 150 pounds, half his body weight. And I said, well, how did you do it? And he said, I just decided that the guy essentially that I wanted to be the star of my story couldn't be that heavy. I just needed to get a new story. And I thought, that's extraordinary. <laughs> that's an extraordinary example. And I, I tell the story in the book. It's a, an amazing story. And I, he's not the only person I've seen do it. But I do love those film stories because I think yeah. they really kind of that's good. the journey. What, what would you say then is the difference? And maybe we're splitting hairs, but I'm fascinated by this whole narrative idea is the difference between people making changes in their lives. Donald could have just said, you know what? I'm overweight. I don't like the way I look or feel. I'm going to lose 150 pounds. And as a result, other things changed in his life because he, you know, changed the way he looked at food and eating and taking care of himself and other things fell into place. Is that the same thing? Yeah. Well, just to get off of Don, I think. Or anyone in that case. Okay. I was just going to say that the Don Miller I knew when I first met him and the Don Miller today are so extraordinarily different that it's hard sometimes for me to get my head around it. And I can only say that it it is because of a radical change in the story he told himself about who he is and how he thought the world worked. Wow. So the only way I can explain it, it's a story transformation that had a profound effect. Now, look, I think, yes, we can bring about some meaningful changes in our lives, right? We can lose weight. We can, you know, go to therapy and learn how to be assertive. We can do all kinds of things, right? We can tweak. But until we change the whole underlying premise of the story, there's not going to be deep, lasting, wide changes to be made in a life, right? There just isn't. You can move around the deck furniture, but you're, you're still on the Titanic until you change the underlying premise of the story. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. To circle back around to your book, I think the Enneagram for me, and I know for countless others, has been an incredible tool of self-awareness. And I think it has to start there because the journey of first, like you said, the first one is uh, sore, but seeing, was it seeing your story? Mm -hmm. You can't see it unless you aren't even aware of it. And I know for many, many years, most of my life, I wasn't even aware of the details of the story, right? Like I knew I could tell you what my, my history was and my life was and my upbringing. And I could tell you the good and the bad. And I could tell you what, how I have, you know, gotten to where I am today in air quotes, but there was a real lack of self-awareness 
meaning, okay, what's what's really going on, right? There's, there's the story of you, and then there's the story of you. <laughs> of like, there, you know, there's the one that when someone asks you, all right, tell me about yourself. But then there's the one that you give in your meetings, right? In your AA meetings, that's two, two different things uh, until you have some self-awareness. You know, what does it take? I know you and I are both Richard Rohr fans. One of favorite sayings of his is, transformation only comes about in one of two ways, either through great pain or great love. And usually it's a combination of both, right? Where, where is the necessity of difficulty and pain uh, and struggle and crashing and burning like so many of us have gone through? Is this a necessity and really understanding and rewriting the story? Well, it doesn't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) No, but I mean, you know, no one shows up in therapy because they're having a great day. Yeah. Right. Nobody shows up at a 12 step meeting because things are going great, you know, and, you know, this is the gift of discomfort. You know, Mm. this is the blessing of distress. And, you know, they're great motivators, right? When you feel great, what's what's the purpose in instituting change? In fact, you'll do everything you can to resist change when things are going well. Yeah. Right. Human beings want to feel good. That's their nature. You know, they don't, if they feel good, they don't want to change anything, Mm. you know? So, but I do think that people do regularly in their lives have moments where they step back and they begin to ask themselves, is this the life I want? Mm. Is this life really working for me? Is is the joy I really want fleeting all the time? You know, is it, you know, how don't you, don't you, can't you look back at times in your life before you gain some self-awareness where you hit these moments, these sort of micro, you know, crashes, you know, and you would just ask yourself, what the heck? Like, what, why is this happening over and over and over again? And then if you're lucky in a strange way, you will hit, you will hit a moment where you'll have a meaningful crash that will really throw you back on your heels. That said, I don't, I don't think that you need to wait until the crash occurs for, your, for you to start doing the work of living into a truer, richer, better story for your life. In fact, I, I, would, I would say at least begin the journey of asking yourself the questions. I, the other night, I have a subscription plan that people sign up for, and they, we have town halls, right? And I, you know, we get a pretty good number of people on these Zoom calls, and, and it's sort of like therapy with me. I mean, it's sort of like fun, right? But it, it has a lot of meaningful moments. I did this whole thing with a 21-year-old, and it was powerful, you know, powerful for this 21-year-old. Doesn't have a lot of, you know, miles under her belt to, to, to really begin to say, oh, man, she was in touch with the fact that she needed a new story. Despite the fact that, you know, she wasn't at middle age needing one, you know, so you can start the journey anywhere at any time. And the sooner, the better, because otherwise, you know, you know how it goes. You'll waste a lot of years in the wrong story. Yes, absolutely. So you told me, you told me your story, the four, tell me mine, the seven. So the self-limiting narrative of the seven arises from this unconscious belief that painful emotions, thoughts, uh, or situations have to be avoided at all costs. And 
they're charming, right? They're intelligent, entertaining, they're future focused, optimistic, adventurous, all these wonderful things, but they're afraid of being trapped in negative feelings from which they can't. Now I can say a lot more about the story of sevens, but that's a pretty good, you know, summary. Now that story, you know, helps the little seven. In fact, the little seven will get strokes for being that kind of kid, even though much of the time what they're doing is creating a neverland in the mind where they can retreat and find uh, comfort on their own from, because at, at some level, I think sevens have this belief that when they hit rough patches so that they're going to last forever, hard feelings and situations and thoughts, and that there's going to be no one there to support them in their mm. moment of need. And so they got to create this other little Peter Pan world, you know, in, in which they can fly. Now, again, that helps you as a little person. Oh, but man, I've seen some sevens crash later in life and it is not good, you know? And in fact, I was with a seven last night and he had me laughing my head off as sevens often do, right? Just telling me the story of his life falling apart. And he's had so much healing. He's a 70-year-old man now. And he's, he's just had so much healing, done so much work, so much story revision. And it's so painful to watch a seven crash because there's a moment when the seven, all their defenses just don't work anymore. And I guess that's true for every type. But it's like they, the game is up, man. The game is up. There is no running from these hard feelings, these hard situations. And None of the strategies work anymore. And yeah, it's the seven story, like all of our stories before they get revised is unfortunately it's in direct opposition to, I believe what I call the story of grace. Right. And that's part of what tells me that these stories are broken. I know there was many, many years, Ian, that when people would ask me about my childhood, I would, my story and my framing of the facts growing up for a long time was I had an amazing childhood. I didn't really have anything bad ever happened to me. And, you know, if you were to hear it, you'd be like, oh, that's either the perfect childhood or a boring childhood. Because I always said, well, I don't have an exciting story to tell. But what I realized in the last several years is that actually that was me framing the growing up and dealing with the pain, the feelings of, of aloneness, the feelings of maybe inadequacy. My, my family, we moved around a lot all over the world. My dad worked for the government. And so I was constantly, not constantly, but quite often having to make new friends and go to new schools and go to new countries. And I realize now that, you know, the way that I coped with that was to create the ideal childhood and to selectively remember those things that were positive and conveniently bury the things that weren't. Brother, you just so perfectly articulated what sevens do, right? And, you know, you can see also from your story that helped you survive. Yes. It wasn't true. That's a broken story. However, it helped you survive. That's why I'm off when I work with people, I'm, you know, they say, well, I hate my old story. I go, don't hate your old story. You need to kiss it and say thank you as you say goodbye, right? It's like that story helped you. And so as you do the work, one of the things I'm, I'm reminding people of in the book or when I'm working with them in person is 
always practice self-compassion as you begin the journey of confronting the old story and then rewriting a new one. Like that's just so important to exercise self-friendship as you go on that journey. Uh, because actually, if you try to use shame and blame, either of yourself or your parents or whoever, it's actually going to slow down the journey of writing and rewriting the story, right? It's a yeah, a funny trail. yeah, yeah. And when I finally woke up to some level of self awareness, and you know a little bit about my story because you you were there to help me through some of it, was it was a pretty bad crash and burn. And the thing about, and I don't know if this is you know the tendency of those who cope in the seven area, but it was, it was the most terrifying thing because like, like sevens, we feel like we're trapped in that. Right. It's to the point of where I became very suicidal, meaning I, this is going to be, I can't live like this because there's no life with these mm-hmm. type of feelings and emotions and shame that, that, that went along with, you know, the things I had done and and left undone and, and all of this. So, but then now my story is very different in the sense of, okay, I, I can look back at my childhood. I can look back at the tough times in the last several years, and I can really live, live in that. And I can say, I had a, I had a really good childhood on some level, but all those times that, that I can say, you know what, I grew up surfing in Puerto Rico. I grew up, you know, in the in the jungles, uh, looking at sloths and iguanas in, Pot- in Panama, and growing up in Miami, and and I can say, yeah, and much of those times I did all that by myself. I was a very lonely child. So all of that to say, it's beautiful to be able to embrace it, and now to rewrite it, like you said, and and say, you know, we don't have to be those things anymore. We can rewrite, yeah. be different people. You know, I'm really moved by something you just said, and that is, and I think this is so often true of sevens and part of their broken story, which is I'm alone. I'm alone. And and I have to therefore create a world of fun where everything's going to be okay, where I'm going to be protected. But the seven believes that really that there's no one, if it's going to happen, they're going to have to do it themselves. Yeah, And so it's, it's beautiful when the seven begins in their new story, their rewrite into the new story they want to live to be able to realize I'm not alone. I'm not alone. There's other people like me. And there are other people around me who will accompany me on the journey of finding a new story for my life. And I think for me, and, and I'll, I'll get off myself, but I think it's important to say to anyone, no matter what, where you are in the Enneagram, is that when you do allow yourself to lean into the uncomfortableness, the pain, the struggle, the death, figuratively speaking, is that you realize that there are other people that can go through it with you, that you're not alone in that. And I think my greatest fear was that I was doing this, like you said, by myself alone, and that not only would no one be with me, but they would abandon me in some way if I let them see the true, my true self. And that's part of the brokenness of the story that you lived in. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, listen, I I think that people can go through a profound experience like that, not know the Enneagram, not know anything about doing narrative work to create a new story. And yet 
you know, kind of stumble around to a new story, right? Or at least some partial rewrite of a story. But what, what I try to do in the story of you is, is just tell people, here's the process. Like you don't have to stumble around in the dark trying to figure out how to do this. Here's yeah. a process, you know, here's a process. Cause I think at the end of the day, I don't know if you would agree, but I think what, what is the purpose of, of great teaching? It is to help people. It's to, it's to help people save time. And like that's, you just want to help people. You, you teach history. You're, you're trying to say, this is what happens when, let me just let me just save you some time by telling you what happens when you know and so i hope that's what the book does is it says okay here's a clear path some things i can do to start the process and, and to finding a new story for my life yeah we've talked <laughs> a lot about fours and sevens today but in the book there's just as much powerful and impactful narratives that you lay out in there and and i love the fact that you give a template for for rewriting it i would encourage everybody to get it it's the story of you and Enneagram journey to becoming your true self. Ian, is there is there anything that you have discovered in this journey of writing this book? Because I know your previous book is, is just done amazingly well. People are engaging with it. And I know you've spoken to thousands and tens of thousands of people all over the world in connection with that. Was there anything that you learned specifically uniquely about this Enneagram journey and this journey of self-awareness and rewriting your story over the last couple of years working on this book? Yeah. I mean, it's been profoundly moving. Uh, a couple of months ago, I, I was asked to be a, a group therapist on a, what's called a therapeutic intensive weekend. And it was for addicts. And so I had to lead group therapy for five addicts, six hours. Of, well, there was other parts of the program, but it was six hours a day of group therapy. Very early on in our process, I said to these guys, I said, you know, do you think that some of the problems that you face or have faced are the result of living in the wrong story? And they looked at me like I invented fire. Like, like, like literally in the moment, they looked at me as if to say, that's exactly right. You know what I mean? Like, like, and so that the power, when you start to talk in the language of narrative, it's like something awakens in people and it awakened in me where it's like, oh yeah, you just said, when you start talking story, I start to realize that is the source of my, my suffering. The source of my problem is I'm in a bad, I'm in the wrong narrative. I love what the, the children's author, Mo Willems, if you've ever read Mo Willems, he's quite famous, but he, he has this great quote. He says, if you find yourself living in the wrong story, leave. <laughs> <laughs> I love that quote. If you find yourself in the wrong story, leave. And I think, yeah, I think when people hear that, they're like, they, like hope awakens in them that there's, there's some light at the end of the tunnel, that there's some way that they can experience. Well, how can people find out about you, learn more? You know, you have not only your books, but you, you offer some of these extracurricular things. You said you have this group meetup. Can you talk a little bit about some of those things where people can learn more? Yeah. So obviously the books can be found on Amazon. The story of you is uh, available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You could buy it at Hudson News in the airport. I just saw it there the other day. I was like, oh, look, Congrats. the story of you sitting on a little table right here. And uh, 
you know, you can, my other books, you can learn about those. My website, uh, which is Ian Morgan Cron, I-A-N-M-O-R-G-A-N-C-R-O-N.com. You can also learn about my courses. You can learn about my Enneagram assessment called the IEQ-9. You can, you know, sign up for what's called the typology membership track, which involves getting a, you know, you get a custom podcast for the, for that group. In addition to the one I do on my other podcast, Typology, and a, a monthly group meetup with me. And so, and I'm at Ian Morgan Cron across all my socials. And I would just add too, I've appreciated the integration of, of the Enneagram wisdom and the career, my career and my, my leadership life, you know, in my work and, and my team, the teams that I work with and speaking. I know you do a lot about that specifically. You speak to businesses and corporations. Lot, yeah. So that's available too, if somebody is interested in maybe engaging you for that as well. Yes, most of my work actually is in the corporate space, using the Enneagram to create healthier teams, healthier cultures, and you know, obviously making important decisions about the future of organizations. That's great. That's great. That's that's a whole nother discussion at one day we'll have to have. So mm-hmm. Ian, thank you as always. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your uh, transparency and authenticity. It, it means a lot to me. And hopefully a lot of people will go out and buy your book and, and start rewriting their own story. Thank you, brother. Nice to be with you. All right. We'll talk to you soon, man. 